0: Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions.
1: What does it mean when a company's
2: share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more?
1: My question is,
0: how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to
2: be a new IPO.
0: And provides unbiased answers.
2: I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers.
0: Invest Talk. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique.
2: 888
1: 99 chart. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast.
2: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. We are going through the second trading day of the month of December. And I'm excited to have you with me for this hour I'm going to do my best as usual to help you navigate through uh, an increasingly uncertain market environment as we head into 2022. And I think the action in the markets over the past couple of days is telling you that 2022 will look a lot different than 2021. Now, does that mean it has to be a bad year? No, uh, but it's likely to be a more volatile year and a different year in leadership of the markets uh, and more of a stock picker's market. And if you want to succeed in that market, you need to do a little extra legwork, a little extra time taken to understand the trends in the market, the trends in the economy, and adjust your portfolio accordingly. And that's why I'm here to help you with help you build your financial future, and make smart decisions. Take that next step in your journey towards financial freedom. Now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your calls, 888 chart And during this hour, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. No matter what, no matter what I'm talking about, whether it is a particular stock, thicker strategy, thicker sector. I'm here to give you the facts as I see them. I have a lot of systems up in front of me, a lot of data on various companies, on the economy, and all this helps me helps inform me so that I can use my 20-plus years of investment experience to distill out the relevant information for you to make good, sound money decisions. Now, the decision on a particular company or a sector or a strategy for you may be different than what is appropriate for somebody else as well. So you have to consider the pros and cons. That's why I try to lay out the pros and cons of everything that we are discussing on this show and highlight the risks and rewards. Now I'm here to present all of this data to you without bias, just gives you the facts as I see them in front of me. So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get the shape this show to your liking, the way you want it to flow. I have my vision of how I want the hour to flow, but you are you are my boss. And if you have a topic, you have anything you want to discuss, just interact with me right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, that's great too. You can still leave your message on our Invest Doc Voice Bank. Either way, the number always is the same. 888- 99 chart now let's grab our first listener question now hi this is trent
0: from long beach and i own a mutual fund in my deferred compensation plan at work
1: D-F-I-V-X. D is in david f is in frank i D as in victor x i'm just curious for a few days now there's been no news on it and it's been frozen as far as um, any updates um i'm just curious it's happened before on other things i've looked
2: into what does that mean when that happens on the uh Gonna, when the stock stops moving, as far as, and I can't find news on it. Thank you. Well, what you're looking at is not a stock; it is a mutual fund. This is the DFA International Value uh, Investor Class Fund, and uh, Morningstar gives it three stars out of five, bronze rating. So it's a it's a, it's a decent fund. It's a large cap international value fund, which I think is a good place to be right now, especially if the dollar's already run. Uh, And value starting to kind of take over. And the better values across the globe are are, are outside of the U.S. And so uh, having some decent exposure there is a a smart way to go. Now, remember, with a mutual fund, there is what is called the NAV. It doesn't trade throughout the day like an ETF or an individual stock. There is an ending price. And sometimes that ending price on the day is the ending price from the previous day. And you kind of seen that here over the past uh, a couple of days, uh, and even previous uh, two days before that, it was basically a flat close. Now, uh, part of that may may have to do with a lot of their positions are overseas, and uh, the they were markets were closed over holidays uh, potentially. I'm not sure uh, exactly. Obviously, this is spread out, um, but just really not nearly as much market movement overseas as you saw here in the us on friday and so uh once again this is a mutual fund so it has one closing price at the end of each day and it is not uncommon to see back-to-back days with the same closing price so that's why you didn't really see any movement nothing really to worry about uh more just understanding whether you want to have this exposure or not is a good fund or a bad fund and i would say in this market and aggregate, I think this is a fairly good fund, especially in a defined benefit plan where you're not getting a lot of options. This is, you know, a a pretty modestly above average fund with uh, relatively low fees. That was the DFA International Value Fund. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. CEOs and insiders have sold a record $69 billion of their stock. And some of this has to do with looming tax hikes as well as lofty share prices. that's encouraged many of them to take profits. But could this activity be a warning sign? We're going to look at that data and dig a little deeper. Also, there's some interesting trends in brick and mortar retail and e-commerce. And I'll give you a quick synopsis and we'll dig into it later. But basically the cost to advertise online has become so expensive and the rents on brick-and-mortar stores have come down so much that it's now becoming a lot more economical to open up these retail stores, brick-and-mortar stores, as opposed to relying 100% on e-commerce and shifting uh, investment from these companies uh, more and more uh, into the e-commerce space. So we've kind of, in some ways, according to this data, reached peak e-commerce and we're going to dig into that a little bit more next a report from the OECD talks about inflation and we're going to look at what their report is saying and what that might mean over uh, 2022 and what their expectations are for inflation next year and maybe even into 2023 so those are things that are on my mind but ultimately I want to know what is on your mind 888 chart 889 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, the S&P was up 64 points, about a percent and a half still, did not close above yesterday's high. And I think that is going to be the new kind of line in the sand is yesterday's high. If we close back above it. I still think uh, we'll have a Santa Claus rally. As long as we stay kind of below the the 46, sorry, yeah, 46.50, 46.40 area on the S&P today closed at 45.77. So we're, we're about 1%, 1.5% for, for, uh, below those levels. And as long as we stay kind of below there, I ex- actually expect some more volatility. But if we can kind of capture that number on a closing basis, 46.50, call it, uh, then I think we're going to start to see – Continued grind higher, and a lot of this has to do with uh, option flows, et cetera, and a lot of under uh, under the radar uh, market mechanisms, market structure, uh, and that's a lot of the reason why you you saw big volatility after Friday's sell off was because it was something called a gamma flip, and the gamma flip caused market makers to indiscriminately sell, and that's why you saw just see a lot of volatility, and we still remain in a zone even after this rally, where uh, a bit of downside is 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 more likely. It doesn't mean it has to be crash or anything, but um, uh, you know, we didn't we didn't overtake any major levels today, even though we got a nice bounce. So we'll see if we get some follow through tomorrow into the into the, the weekend. And that will be uh, very interesting to see. Now, uh, overall, liquidity situation still remains, I think, relatively robust. And a lot of this worry has to do with the Fed tightening too aggressively. And I really don't think that is going to be the case. I think uh, they're going to look at this recent market hiccup and they're going to continue on the path that they're at, uh, not accelerating, maybe not decelerating uh, their tapering uh, path either. So uh, we'll see where we close tomorrow, but definitely some nice progress in the market today. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. For investors, the need to remain vigilant really never ends. And that's why we're here to help you with your finance and investment questions at 888-99-CHART.
0: Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888 99Chart.
2: Let's go to James in Sonoma looking at Allstate.
1: Yeah, I was looking at Allstate. Um, you know, I've looked at, uh, I looked at these insurance companies for months now. I bought Hartford here about 15 months ago after I talked to you guys, and it's up like 90%. I like insurance companies because no matter what happens, they always win. They seem to be having a problem with their margins, and I guess they've had a lot of claims filed and stuff like that. But it looks to me like, it's a, unless you're going to tell me different, it looks to me like it's a fundamentally good company that's having a bad day or week or month here. And I just wanted to see what your opinion was on it.
2: Well, Allstate is is down about, let's see, from its 52-week high, about, down about 21%. And the insurance market uh, uh, has been struggling here over the past uh, few months. And a lot of it has to do, I think, with the lack of breakout in rates. You know, it had a, a good rally uh, last year and into the beginning of this year as rates continued higher. But now since rates peaked back in, let's see, when did they peak? The 10-year peaked really in April right around 1.75 almost 1.8 and we've just been in a, a broad trading range so now the expectation of, of higher rates is, is not really there uh, and then also people are getting out and moving a lot more what that means is more claims when people were sitting on their couch they and not driving very much uh, there, there wasn't there weren't a lot of claims because there just wasn't a lot of movement and activity to cause accidents and, and for people to file claims. And so their profits really skyrocketed. And so in 2019, they made $10.43. But 2020, they made $14.71. And now you're starting to see the reversal. This year, it's supposed to make $13.41, down 9% from last year. And then next year. Back to $10.77, down 20%. So they basically expect to make a full round trip to their 2019 earnings levels. And that's really the issue uh, is growth is slowing dramatically and reversing in a lot of ways. And so, uh, you know, it's a good business. It's a good company. But, you know, the issue is just that uh, return trip uh, to pre-pandemic earnings levels and the fact that uh, the market was discounting a uh, more positive outlook longer term. And so that's why I would be patient on these names until we get a, b- a bigger breakout in rates. And, and I'm just really not uh, quite seeing that yet. Uh, you know, if we get that, that's another story. Um, but I think you'll have plenty of time to, to move if that's the case. So uh, I would have on my watch list. It's a, it's a very good company, but I just don't get excited with the technicals and the uh, the earnings backdrop that I'm seeing.
0: So back to
2: the future, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Back to back to the future, back to where we were in 2019. I know we have all probably want to be there anyway, but uh, from an earnings standpoint, Allstate definitely doesn't, but uh, that's where analysts are showing it is going to trend towards next year. Thanks for the call, James. All right. Thank now, the you, focus Justin. point today is based on the story behind this headline. CEOs and insiders have sold a record $69 billion of stock this year. Now, sales by insiders are up 30% from last year's levels and up 79% versus the 10 year average. And this is like to likely to only increase after December. Remember, this is just through the month of November and December is very, usually a very active month because of tax planning, et cetera. Now, most of the stocks that have been sold were still part of a pre-scheduled selling plan known as a 10 B five one program And the bulk of this year's sales have been highly concentrated among just a few sellers. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, they sold each nearly $10 billion in stock. And then you have the Waltons and Mark Zuckerberg, uh, and you combine all four of those, that's 37% of the total. So very heavily weighted towards those highly valued, giant companies and big investors. Uh, founders and, and CEOs that are are really cashing in. Uh, and after the break, I'm going to get into what are the main reasons why this may not be as nefarious as you might think it is. There's some very good reasons. So after the break, I'm going to dig into that. But this is Invest Talk. And if you've never called, why not do it now? I will be curious to hear your question. Our phone lines never close. So give me a call now at 888 99 Chart. Now, before the break, I was discussing the massive amount of insider sales so far this year, and it was mainly driven by Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. So far this year, Elon has sold about $9.85 billion in Tesla stock. Half of it related to option-related taxes, but the other half is straight out of cash out. So he's using this opportunity to say, okay, I'm selling shares, oh, this is for paying taxes, but... Uh, The other half is actually uh, for straight cash out, which, you know, makes sense. Uh, Tesla, one of the most uh, overvalued stocks in the history of the market right now. And it is definitely a good time to be cashing out. Uh, Jeff Bezos, he sold a total of $9.97 billion uh, of Amazon stock this year. But that was part of its natural uh, plan. You know, they file a a 10B5-1 plan. This is a scheduled plan consistently. To sell shares over time, so that is not uncommon for uh, for people to diversify, uh, and that's actually what Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella is saying with selling half, nearly half of his Microsoft stock for a total of 285 million dollars. But in reality, it's probably because of a new tax starting next year. In the state of Washington, where he lives, that will impose a 7% tax on capital gains over $250,000. So it, by selling this year versus next year, you can save up to $20 million in state taxes. And Bezos, same thing, saving up to $700 million in Washington state tax because he sold before the end of the year. So it, it's that. that's one reason. It's local taxes going up next year. But also, the House is proposing a new five percent sur- surtax on income over ten million, and eight percent on income over twenty-five million. So that's another reason for the CEOs to lock in the gains now and avoid potentially larger tax bills next year and down the road. Now, obviously, the House bill is still under consideration. We're not sure exactly what that's going to look like, uh, but the the writing's kind of on the wall that uh, for the uber uber wealthy those rates are likely to go up. So why not cash out right now uh, when also valuations are very high for these big tech companies as well? So that's kind of the backstory. I don't think it's anything nefarious. I think it's really about uh, decisions that I would make, whether I'm bullish on my company or not. Let's go to Noel in Napa, looking at ExxonMobil.
0: Yes, hello, Justin. Uh, yeah, I've, I'm, I've got a long-term capital gain in XOM as well, and I've uh, got about a 30% Gain right now on it, and uh you know I was thinking about maybe I should sell it, take that long term gain now with you know more I'll have a lower tax rate this year, and God only knows what they're going to do next year so and then I was thinking about what you thought about moving those funds into natural gas if that would be a better place to be anyhow and uh if I go into natural if you like the natural gas space better, do I want? somebody that's just uh, uh, drilling for gas or or do I want somebody that does gas and and also distribution and everything in that area?
2: Well, the the first thing is we like Exxon. We own it for uh, clients. And what you have to remember is Exxon is actually very heavily in in natural gas. It produces 2.3 million barrels of liquids and 8.5 billion cubic feet of natural gas Per day. So, uh, and this is the product of their purchase of XTO Energy. Now, this was uh, at poor prices, but uh, they've been really utilizing that uh, as a big source of revenue over the years. And it, it's it's really one of the um, larger EMP companies that 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 has a large exposure to natural gas uh, higher than, say, a Chevron, for example. Now there's others, uh, ConocoPhillips, that also have large natural gas exposure as well. So that's to me, if I'm looking for a larger safe uh, EMP company, Exxon's one of the better ones with good natural gas exposure. Now, could you get one that has a more pure play natural gas exposure? Absolutely. Exxon's very large. They're global. Uh, they have uh, tons of oil and downstream. They're they're, very, they're they're vertically integrated in a lot of ways where they uh, refine and manufacture chemicals and things like that as well. And that uh, means that their overall profits tend to be better. And so, you know, if you're looking to gain more exposure to natural gas. I, once again, there are better options uh, that will have more upside, but this is definitely a safer play, a more consistent play. Uh, and I like the, the vertical integration there uh, where you're not really going to get that from very many companies that are heavily natural gas. Most companies that are heavily natural gas aren't uh, vertically integrated. They don't own their pipelines. They're selling to uh, pipeline infrastructure companies. And so, you know, if you're looking to lock in those capital gains, that's another question. That's another question from a tax perspective. That's something you want to talk to your CPA about. But I'm not in a huge hurry to be selling my Exxon. Uh, but it could make sense uh, part of a, a tax strategy. But that's something once again to talk to your CPA about. Now, in the next Invest Talk story that looks into this question: Are the Nasdaq and the Dow trading in a similar pattern to what was evident just before the Internet bubble burst? Though recent divergences aren't as extreme as those seen in March 20, 2000, there is a theory that postulates that they that they are nevertheless much higher than the norm. Steve will look into that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Just wondering what your thoughts are on all the Robin Hood
1: trading and the, the Red Hat boards. Got a question for Steve
2: or Justin? Now is a good time to call Invest Talk. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive K E R O N E dot com, hacker dot com.
0: This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume, because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART.
1: Hello, my name is Paige. I'm calling from Sunnyvale, California. I don't recall hearing anyone ever ask about carbon credit funds, but that's come to my attention, and so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what you think about those kinds of funds and how to evaluate them. I did find an article that mentioned three ETFs and an exchange-traded note. One of those was KRBN, Crane Shares Global Carbon ETF. Another was KCCA, Crane Shares California Carbon Allowance ETF. KEUA, Crane Shares, European Carbon Allowance ETF. And then the exchange traded note was IPATH Series B Carbon ETN. Anyway, just love to start a discussion about this kind of investing as I don't recall hearing much about it on your show, which I listened to faithfully. Thanks a lot. Bye bye.
2: All right. Looking at uh, a few of these carbon credit ETFs and ETNs. And these are definitely interesting. And uh, I I like this uh, space overall because uh, you're you continue, continue to see a push towards um, green energy and uh, the cost of carbon credits continues to go up. And it, I I what I like are the companies actually that produce the uh, the carbon credits overall um, that are building green infrastructure and then able to sell those carbon credits. So they're making money not only on the green infrastructure that they're building and investing in, but they are also able to sell the carbon uh, credits to those that are uh, are polluting. Uh, and so I, I like that, uh, but I like the the underlying companies, once again. And there are uh, plenty of them out there. There are some infrastructure companies that can't give you the exact names. You have to do your own research. Once again, you can call and ask me about them if you ever find one. Um, we own some for our, our, our clients as well. Uh, and so that's what you want to be looking for in my mind and less to do, um, with the, those ETFs, you know, the GRNs and the, and the KRBNs of the world. Uh, I don't think they're bad, uh, but I rather own, uh, those companies that pay a dividend and are, are, are creating the carbon credits as they, they operate. And so that's the way I would go, but thanks for the call and great topic to bring up. Uh, more people should be focused on this because I think the trend is only going to continue. Now Let's go to Bruce in Millbrae, looking at HMC, which I believe, if I remember correctly, is Honda Motor Corporation. You own it or looking to buy it?
0: Just looking at it. was wondering if you have any, is it, they don't say, it doesn't ever seem to do much, but it pays a big dividend, and is it secure, and um, is it ever valued that you guys would buy it?
2: Well, every, every company has a value where it's just too cheap and, and you want to own it uh, at those levels. Now, the question is, uh, w- is now the price after a drop from about 15% from its 52-week high? Uh, and I'm going to say really not yet. Uh, part of it is the, the stock continues to uh, weaken technically, although uh, today was a nice little bounce, but remains below all the major moving averages. And then you're seeing a, uh, a lot of tailwinds that were given to this company uh, during the pandemic are starting to reverse. Uh, pre-pandemic, they're making $2.42. Last year, $3.44. This year, it's supposed to make $3.36 per share. So you're starting to see that retrenchment once again. Analysts are downgrading estimates overall. They don't pay a dividend. And just like I say with the EV companies – even though this one isn't heavily EV, they have some uh, exposure there, obviously. But uh, it is a very low-margin, difficult business. And if you just look at the return in equity over the years, it has kind of fluctuated between four percent and uh, the the mid-teens, uh, but averaged right around eight percent over the last couple of decades, which is okay. But that doesn't get me excited, and I think that's why the price of the stock has really gone, hasn't really gone uh, very far of the last decade. It's just, uh, basically where it was a decade ago. So I don't really like those trends. I don't see them being a leader in, uh, transitioning into the EV space. And so I wouldn't be chasing, uh, I wouldn't be chasing this stock and I'm looking at, let's see the dividend. Uh, did they cut their dividend? Cause I'm not seeing, yeah, one system's telling me they don't pay a dividend. Another is saying the dividend yield is about 5%. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust the other one about 5%. So I wouldn't be chasing that dividend yield. Uh, it's just not a name that I'm getting excited about. Thanks for the call, Bruce. 888 chart 889 Is the brick-and-mortar store back in style? Well retailers this year are expected to open more stores than they actually close and this is the first time that will happen since 2017 this is an analysis of 900 different chains now most of the growth is coming from food stores drug stores convenience stores mass merchant stores uh, but department stores especially retailers that continues to uh, they continue to close more stores than they're opening but the pace that they're closing stores has slowed from record levels last year, which you would imagine. You know, last year was a very uh, big year for closing brick and mortar stores. Now, stores are becoming more important in the whole uh, e-commerce landscape because, by many, for many companies, they are actually fulfilling their store or their e-commerce orders from their stores. They're using them as distribution hubs, and employees can double by. Uh, At one point, checking people out at the front, but the next time, uh, maybe packing boxes and shipping them out in the back. And then it's convenient for shoppers to also return their products directly to the, the physical store. So that can be beneficial and drive more traffic online. And then you have the really increasing costs of acquiring customers online as so many retailers have pivoted. Basically, every retailer has pivoted. Uh, aggressively to online stores because they had to. But as that cost has gone up, it's become less expensive to get shoppers in store. It used to be, well, the cost of getting new shoppers online was, was a lot lower than the overhead cost of paying for rent and all the employees and insurance, et cetera, that comes with a brick and mortar store. But now since the pandemic the costs online have gone up and landlords are becoming more flexible, shorter lease terms, more flexible lease terms. And there are the means these retailers are more apt to take a chance on an area because they're less likely to be locked up in unproductive locations for a decade plus, which is kind of what the standard was before. When these retailers signed a lease, they were there for a decade. Now, many of these stores are smaller. And a lot of them are also also offering experiences. Dick's, for example, is adding 800 stores. That includes a house of sports, public lands, golf galaxy stores. These all have interactive features. Batting cages, rock climbing walls, putting greens. So things that people can do in a store that you can never do online. Levi's, another one that's opening 100 new next generation stores where you can buy customized T-shirts by adding patches, embroidery. Colored rivets, et cetera. And I've also seen rents down 15% from pre pandemic levels. And that's improved overall profitability, says the, the Levi CEO. Now, foot traffic is still down about 12.4% uh, at the, the week ending November 20th from two years ago. So, pre pandemic levels. But once again, the cost of digital acquisition, acquiring a customer online is up. over the past five years. So the costs are going up dramatically. And Amazon already has physical stores. They're planning to open up department stores where shoppers can try and close using tech, uh, dressing rooms with a lot of technology in them uh, to help them. Warby Parker, they're opening 154 stores. Sorry. They currently have 154 stores they are opening 35 more new locations this year. They started online and have been pivoting more and more to physical stores. Now department stores and specialty retailers are on track to close 469 more stores than they opened this year, but that's down from a net 6,787 net closures last year. So less than 10% of the net closures uh, from last year. So that's a big, big improvement. And once again, it's able to complement the e-commerce side. Target says the cost on average of fulfilling an online order through its its retail outlets is 40 percent less than shipping from its expensive warehouses or warehouses that may be farther away. And so the old story that maybe physical stores are dead may be at least ebbing for a while. And I think there's still some longer term headwinds uh, and brick and mortar retail is likely to shift. And transform, uh, but there's a lot of data that's saying we're starting to go the other way. We've reached an inflection point on that side. Now let's swing back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from New Hampshire.
1: Hi, Stephen Justin, Steve, you calling from New Hampshire. Football as well. Just a
0: real quick question for you. I am investing currently in my 401k with the Roth component as well as individual Roth IRA. Nodding on me now, what happens to my contribution amount if I'm contributing the max in my regular, I guess, individual Roth IRA, but also contributing in my 401k? I would imagine that it would be separate, but I just want to confirm that I'm not doing something I shouldn't I really appreciate the um, information, and I look forward to the answer on the podcast. Thanks.
2: Yes, they are separate. The Roth 401k is uh, similar to the traditional 401k when it comes to limits. And then your IRA, whether it's a Roth or traditional is, is also separate. So now your your Roth is going to have some contribution limits uh, or sorry, some con- yeah, con- obviously contribution limits, but income limits, excuse me, uh, where it's phased out on your ability to uh, contribute to the Roth IRA. But uh, that's something that you you have to consider. And obviously, I don't know your uh, your income limits, something to talk to your CPA about. Remember, with all of these contributions to retirement accounts, it's always in context to your own personal situation, your tax situation. And you always want to consult with a tax professional because your situation is is siloed. Nobody has your exact situation when it comes to income, place your living, demands, et cetera, and, and goals, okay? So thanks for the call and great question. Let's go to Edgar in San Diego, looking at Western Union.
0: Yes, hi, Justin, how are you? Good, good. Yes, uh, I was looking at Western Union and uh, pretty much uh, I'm looking for uh, dividend. And I was wondering what you think about this company.
2: Well, I I think the company is cheap. Now, whether or not the dividend uh, is going to be sustainable longer term, I, I, I'm not sure about that. What I am more interested in is the fact that they are still producing a lot of cash flow, and their stock is very cheap. Their operating earning yield right now is 14.6%, and they're buying back shares aggressively. So this is a name that is – its business is dying, but it's dying a slow death. Uh, And it may be a decade plus before it's officially dead. Uh, And they're about to earn over the next few years, call it five to six years, their entire market cap. And if they can plow their $300 million in free cash flow every quarter into stock buybacks, well, they're going to buy the whole company, oh, geez, yeah, in about five years. Okay, so that's a good thing. Um, And that's why I think it's relatively cheap. Now, is this a dividend play in my mind? Not really, because I don't think that dividend is likely to be sustained longer term. In the near term, I think it's definitely going to be fine. But they're going to be focusing more on buybacks uh, and using that cash flow for that. So I don't think you're going to get dividend growth. It's probably going to be flat for a little while. uh, And really, this is more of a value play and playing on the company simply basically taking itself private. Thanks for the call. Let's try one more quick question.
1: Hi, I'm calling about Matterport MTTR. I first got it around $15, and now I'm wondering if I should be looking to buy more. If so, what price, or should I be looking to sell and take profits? Thanks.
2: All right, Matterport. I haven't heard of this one. Provides a 3D data platform to design, build, promote, and manage homes, offices, hotels, factories, and shops. Interesting. I've never heard of this one. A spatial data company focusing on digitizing and indexing the built world. Hmm. I've never heard of this name. $7 billion market cap. Its revenue is up 10% year over year. Ooh, doesn't make any money. Uh, this looks like a Ponzi stock to me. Trading at $7 billion market cap. Enterprise value, run rate of a hundred million dollars in revenue, losing money. I, I I wouldn't be owning this name. Okay, so this is this is a weird one. This looks like to be was a spAC. Yeah, looks like to be a spAC. Now technically it's fine, it's above all the major moving averages. Big reversal yesterday and a follow through today. So that is some definitely near term bearish signs. Uh, but overall I, I just don't understand this this company quite yet. Once again, it's a SPAC. So a lot of the data on SPACs is uh, kind of c- comes in over time. Uh, it's not like a normal IPO. And you really only have data for 2020 losing 29 cents, let's lose 23 cents this year, 22 26 cents next year. Uh, I, I I don't know enough about it. I don't really understand its business. Um, but technically, it's fine. But based on what I'm seeing, market cap, revenue, etc. It looks extremely expensive. So I would be wary about buying more. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And we're going into our final break. And we're here to help you whatever is on your mind, finance or money related. We're happy to discuss it, give you some perspective, give you some data to make good money decisions. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART.
0: You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. Hey, Steve or Justin. This is Bob from Ohio. The market's you know, and really in the middle of a bubble recently and I you know, I can see a downturn coming. So what's the best way to gain exposure to the downside of the market without physically shorting the stock? Would you recommend like selling calls
2: or would you recommend buying puts or buying an inverse ETF? What do you recommend? I'm a fairly new investor, so I appreciate it. Your show's great, I listen to it every day. Thank you very much. Well if you are looking to capture the downside of the market and you're a fairly new investor, I think the simplest way is to buy a single levered, not the levered uh, inverse ETFs, but a single levered uh, ETFs where uh, you're just going to get the inverse of whatever the market is going to do. So if the market's going to go down, then this is going to go up. And there are, there are ones tracking the S&P and the NASDAQ and the Russell and, and many other the, of the large indices. So that's what I would go with. Uh, options as a beginning investor. Uh, too too risky you really have to understand the ins and outs for you to be successful um if you were to do it it'd be probably buying just straight up puts i wouldn't sell calls especially in this market with gamma squeezes and all that uh but but buying a put and limiting your risk would, would probably be the next best thing but as a new investor that's probably not the way that you should go okay so hope that helped Now, let's touch on a report from the OECD. This is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And this is their latest forecast. This is the fourth report this year on the economic outlook, as well as looking into next year into 2023. And they expect consumer price inflation here in the U.S. to average 4.4%. In 2022, that's up from 3.1%. The last time they released their forecast in September, they expect the Eurozone to be at 2.7% when it comes to inflation. That's up from 1.9% in their last forecast. So this is what I speak about when I talk about inflation moderating next year, moderating this year, we're going to have average inflation, probably North of 5%. And A 4.4% increase in prices next year would be considered a moderation, but it is much elevated from what the market and the economy is used to. So if we have back-to-back years of north of 4% inflation, that is something you haven't seen in decades and I think would have a large impact on the psyche of the market and the economy as a whole. And so this report is basically saying that inflation will be longer lasting and sharper than they previously expected. And I think most people previously expected, including the Federal Reserve, who Jerome Powell already spoke about that transitory needs to be retired because basically saying it's, it's not transitory. And so even though their target is two to two and a half percent, they're expected Once again, to have inflation above that level for the foreseeable future. Now, they look at series of imbalances in demand for and supply of energy, semiconductors, and other goods being the main driver, as well as workers. And I think that's really where the rubber will meet the road when it comes to inflation. And that is on the worker's side. It's easy To kind of catch up on orders, bring on, I wouldn't say easy. It's easier to catch up on orders, bring on new capacity, and get the supply-demand dynamics of physical goods back in line. But that's much more difficult when it comes to workers. If you're a company, you can't just print up workers. You have to go find them. And as more and more people have retired, others have gotten long covid Others have unfortunately passed away. Uh, others are taking care of people uh, with COVID. Maybe they have young kids who are not back in school. A lot of the, there's a lot of factors that are driving a dearth of workers. A lot of immigration as well. Uh, since 2016, our trend in immigration has sharply de- decelerated, which means a lot less workers here in the U.S. And so, all of those factors, to me, uh, are going to be. The main drivers, the workers, the lack of workers, being the main drivers of inflation for the foreseeable future. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, now over 36 million. You can get yours for free anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. If you leave your question within your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
1: InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein, Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. They thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99Chart.